Okay, so over the course of this retreat so far, we've been building a strong base of mindfulness of the body as a support for the steadiness, the calm, the spaciousness that helps us to bring awareness to the mind. So as you all know from your own experience, being able to stay present to all of our mental activity, including our thoughts and emotions, without clinging to it, without identifying with it, without taking it personally, without making it me or mine or who I am, can be very challenging. So we're trying to develop this quality of unentangled knowing, even in relation to our mental activity. And generally speaking, this is not how most people relate to their thoughts. If they don't have any mindfulness training, then people generally are either totally unaware of what's happening in their minds until they've got themselves in some kind of trouble, or they get completely entangled and identified with their thoughts, believe them totally, take them personally, have them define who they are. So on the one hand, there's a tendency to believe that thoughts are not important, On the other hand, at times we take them far too seriously. And I often ask if you perhaps have had the experience of feeling okay, being in a state of relative ease, maybe even happy, and then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a random negative thought pops into the mind and it feels like the whole world shifts. And it can trigger all kinds of painful and unpleasant emotions lasting for hours, even days, just because of one firing of neurons in the mind. Anybody had that experience? Perhaps even today. As our mindfulness gets stronger, though, we start to recognize that thoughts are just thoughts. In and of themselves, they don't have that much power. They're just tiny pulses of electrical activity in the brain. So they only have as much power as we give them. In other words, the more solid we make our thoughts, the more weight we give to them, the more seriously we take them, the more we cling to them. To that extent, they cause stress and distress. The opposite is also true. The more we can know our thoughts are simply thoughts, the more we release our identification with them, then the more freedom we have to choose which ones we respond to and which ones we simply let go of. So this morning in the guided meditation, I invited us to begin this process of bringing awareness to thoughts in the mind without getting involved in them. And for most people, this is a skill that takes quite a bit of training. So in this next session of relational practice, we're going to continue exploring mindfulness of the mind, using the support of each other to help us refine and steady our awareness so that we're better able to stay present with whatever is happening in the heart and the mind. So as preparation for that, I'd like to say just a little bit about the different types of mental activity that we can bring awareness to. Because breaking 
those down into separate aspects sometimes can make it easier to stay with what's happening. So the general idea is that we're trying to stay aware of the processes that are happening without getting caught up in the content of the thoughts or the emotions, the moods or the mind states. So just in naming those four categories of thoughts, of emotions, moods, mind states, they're just one way of beginning to tease apart what's happening in the mind. They're not categories that are found in the classical discourses, but they're just a tool that has been helpful in my own practice, just for getting a bit better of a handle on what's happening. So when I name these four rough groupings, the point is not to try to precisely categorize the exact difference between an emotion and a mood, but just to be able to recognize a little more clearly what's happening in the mind. So what I mean by thoughts, just how we normally use that in English, any kind of mental thought process that doesn't have much of a bodily experience to it. So it's mostly in the mind. And so mental experiences, they're known in different ways by different people. So some people are more verbally oriented and their thoughts might appear as words in the mind or an inner dialogue. Some thoughts are more visual, appearing as images or an inner movie. And sometimes we can hear sounds. And all of these are different kinds of thoughts. And so what distinguishes thoughts from emotions is that emotions usually have a physical bodily aspect as well as a mental one. So they're often experiences a mixture of sensations in the body and mental activity in the mind. So just as an example, if we think of anger, in terms of the body, there might be some sudden heat <coughs> in the face. The chest might suddenly get tense and the hands start to clench a little, the jaw becomes tight, and there might be a rush of mental activity, prol proliferation of agitated thoughts in the mind. And those thoughts tend to exacerbate the sensations in the body and often there's a feedback loop between the body and the mind. So we want to be able to notice those, notice the intensity, bring mindfulness and kindness to it to help it. <coughs> so emotions are feelings that come and go. And they come and go relatively quickly. And they're usually a little easier to recognize than moods, for example, because emotions have an intensity in their shorter lived, whereas moods tend to be more in the background. They're not as intense, but they're still coloring our experience. And because they're in the background, they might be harder to recognize. But if we can bring a little more investigation to what is going on, we might see that what we call a mood is actually a composite of different emotions, all sort of mushed together. So, for example, in English it's common to say, I'm in a bad mood. But we can investigate, what does that even mean? And if we look more carefully, we might recognize, oh, there's a low-level feeling of depression, or maybe some flickerings of frustration or irritation, possibly some self-judgment, or 
a low-grade resistance, unconsciously trying to get rid of that unpleasant experience. So we want to learn the skills of recognizing more clearly what is happening in a particular mood. And then lastly, we have mind states. And this category includes all other types of mental experience that aren't thoughts or emotions or moods. So mind states are generally a little more subtle, perhaps harder to recognize at first. But you could think of them as referring to the overall quality of the mind. For example, alertness or dullness, concentration or distractedness, interest or disengagement. And that's what we're going to be exploring soon. The underlying quality of the mind or the mind states that might be present beneath the surface level of thinking and possibly emotions. So just as a sneak preview, let's give that a try now. If you just tune into your mind, you might be aware of Blah, 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 thinking, maybe some flickers of emotion. But can you sense into what's beyond or beneath or perhaps around that? An underlying quality or flavor or state, perhaps, of interest or curiosity. Maybe dullness or disconnection. Perhaps clarity or fogginess, openness or contraction, stillness, agitation, calm. So anyone like to name with just one word a mind state that they might have recognized? Calm, thank you. Calm, yes, I'm feeling it. Steadiness? Steadiness, yeah. Interest. Interest. This side of the room? Drowsiness. Drowsiness, yep. Dullness. Dullness, yep. We've got calm on this side and drowsiness and dullness on this side. You know, in our collective mind, maybe that balances out. Anything else? Anyone else? Interest. Interest. No ownership. This is our collective mind. So we can have multiple spikes of interest. Thank you. Yeah, so you get a sense then of what it's like just to drop down from the content of the mind to find that underlying quality. So that's what we're going to continue exploring now in our relational practice.